friends. How are you doing today? Welcome back to another edition of The Doctor Is In. Now today I'm going to talk about sleep. Yay, sleep. We like to talk about sleep. We love to sleep. What's a good night's sleep? What are the barriers to sleep? Well, this is a ginormous topic, but I'm going to focus the topic on you know, what is the relationship between trauma and PTSD and sleep? And so why do people with PTSD have so much trouble with sleep? What's the connection? Um, and in preparing for this, it's it's pretty amazing how much we still don't know about sleep. Uh, but sleep is essential. It's essential for our brain functioning, our executive functioning, our decision making, our reasoning, judgment. It's essential for healing of our bodies, our immune function, for weight loss, cognition, hormone production, regulation, and basically all the things. So Matthew Walker, uh, the author of the best-selling book, Why We Sleep, says, Sleep is the Swiss army knife of health. Whatever ailment you face, it's more than likely that sleep has a tool in its toolbox that can fix it. He also says, There's no aspect of a human being's wellness that isn't eroded by a lack of sleep. So with that in mind, we know that trauma, um, people recovering from trauma um, and PSD have a lot of troubles with sleep. In fact, sleep disturbances are one of the criteria for PTSD. So before I get into the particular relationship between trauma and sleep, I'm going to cover a bit about the nuts and bolts about sleep. And so we're going to talk about the stages of sleep, or uh, you can call it the architecture of sleep, which are the stages. And so there's four basic stages. Uh, the first three is the non-REM or the rapid eye movement. And the fourth is the rapid eye movement stage. And so stage one is the transition from wakefulness to sleep. And so during this relatively short period of light sleep, your heartbeat, breathing, your eye movements, they slow down, your muscles relax, and you might have the occasional twitch and your brain waves are slowing down and taking on different patterns. Then you move into stage two, and that's also a lighter sleep. Um, obviously between stage one and three, uh, your heart beat and breathing continue to slow down and your muscles continue to relax. Your temperature starts dropping, your eye movements stop, and uh, you spend a lot of your time in this uh, stage of sleep. Stage three is the period of deep sleep that you most need to feel refreshed in the morning. And interesting, it occurs in longer periods during the first half of the night, and it shortens a little bit during the second half of the night. But your heartbeat um, and breathing are at their lowest levels during this stage, and your muscles are relaxed and you know, not surprising, it's the most difficult uh, stage to, um, to awaken you. The rapid eye movement or REM stage is the one you're familiar with. It's the one where most of our dreaming occurs and it gets its name because your eyes are literally moving from side to side. So during this stage, your breathing may become faster and irregular, your heart rate, heart rate and blood pressure increase. Uh, however, your arm and leg muscles become temporarily paralyzed, which prevents you from acting out your dreams, which is probably a good thing. And so this is first occurring after the first hour and a half. And, you know, it, it's also because of our dreams, it's also the stage in which most of our memory consolidation most likely occurs. Um, although that requires like dreaming both non-REM and REM sleep. Those are the stages. 
And your sleep goes in cycles that rotate through all of these four cycles. And so it'll rotate uh, 45 times through a normal eight hour sleep period. And whereas the the cycles may vary in length from 70 to 100 minutes at first, and they may last as long as 90 to 120 minutes later in the night. In fact, your last REM cycle may be up to or more than 60 minutes. Pretty fascinating stuff, huh? So now, what is the relationship to uh, PTSD or trauma-related stress and sleep? So we know that approximately 70 to 90% of people with post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD suffer some, from some kind of sleep disturbance. I mean, this makes sense because, I mean, this makes sense because sleep disturbances are one of the criteria that people need to meet to have a diagnosis of PTSD. But Judith Herman in her book, uh, Trauma Recovery, states that people with PTSD take longer to fall asleep, are more sensitive to noise, and awaken more frequently during the night than ordinary people. You know, another study I found said that, you know, not even talking about PTSD, but children who suffer adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, uh, their sleep can be negatively impacted for 50 years. And so this is also dose-dependent and time-dependent. So the more ACEs, uh, the more difficulty you're going to have sleeping and the longer time you're going to have difficulty sleeping. In fact, ACEs or adverse childhood experiences may increase the risk of chronic health problems through the adverse effects of sleep problems. Another thing about uh, trauma and dreams is that environment has a significant role because some may not feel safe in a bed because this was the setting for their trauma experience, you know, whether they're in prostitution or they were raped or molested. Also, the nighttime may be associated with the trauma environment or they're afraid of the dark uh, or the terrible things that happened to them. Also, depression and anxiety, which are related to PTSD, also disrupt the sleep cycles, and people often have trouble getting asleep or staying asleep due to one of these other complicating uh, comorbidities. So sleep disorders are not just a secondary symptom of PTSD. Uh, they need to be addressed more comprehensively and aggressively, especially considering how important sleep is to overall health and well-being. You know, a question that came up as I was preparing for this is the question that, you know, do sleep problems contribute to or cause PTSD or does PTSD cause sleep problems? Because interestingly, uh, sleep problems that precede the traumatic event may also play a role. One study, uh, they studied soldiers and that the soldiers reporting nightmares before going to war were more likely to develop PTSD after coming back than the cohort that did not uh, report having nightmares. Interesting. So studies suggest that sleep problems and disrupted sleep architecture, or the sleep cycle, after a traumatic event are predictive of PTSD developing later. Studies also suggest that addressing sleep disturbances can prevent PTSD or at least mitigate effects of PTSD. So this is promising and hopeful that by getting treatment for sleep early on can help people from developing full-blown PTSD. So let's say you've had a traumatic event. Let's say you're having trouble sleeping. So focusing and aggressively getting on top of uh, the sleep problems can prevent PTSD from developing further. This is really exciting 
you know, to think that you could actually do something more proactive to prevent uh, future PTSD. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the three different categories of sleep disturbances suffered by people with PTSD. And those are obstructive sleep uh, apnea, uh, insomnia, and nightmares or night terrors. So the first is obstructive sleep apnea or OSA. So there's a higher prevalence of OSA among people with PTSD, but it's not exactly clear why. Uh, It could have something to do with the chronic arousal or alcohol use, but they have shown that by treating the um, OSA with CPAP or other devices to help airflow um, can help with sleep and then help uh, decrease or mitigate the PTSD symptoms. So the second category is insomnia. And so that is most likely due to the hyperarousal, not able to relax. So there's a people with PTSD that trauma symptoms have a hypervigilance associated with that. And it's a result of the disruption of central nervous system regulation, uh, such as, you know, having the stress hormones such as norepinephrine at higher levels in your body than in people who don't have PTSD. So hypervigilance is a feeling of feeling constantly alert or unable to relax. A person gets startled easily or can get very upset to small noises or being surprised, triggered. Uh, Studies have shown that there's some increased heart rate during during sleep, which is a sign of chronic hyperarousal. And this also aligns with the finding of increased norepinephrine levels in people suffering from trauma. Um, sorry, let me say that again. This al- so the people with PTSD have had blood work done while they're sleeping, and the studies have shown an increased level of norepinephrine in their blood. Norepinephrine is one of is like epinephrine. It's one of those um, stress um, excitable hormones. Uh, that's involved in the fight-flight cycle. So also insomnia could be complicated, as I mentioned before, with their day-night cycle being inverted, with people having to stay up all night, uh, trying to sleep during the day, such as some of the women that I'm working with, women in prostitution. So the third category are nightmares or night tears. So with PTSD, memory processing during sleep is disrupted and the brain's ability to process memories and emotions is disrupted, which, is, which inhibits the recovery process. So one scientist has said that during REM sleep, memories are being reactivated, put in perspective, and connected and integrated. And this is done in a state in which the stress chemicals and hormones are suppressed, and this is beneficial for the body. And so when you're not in a traumatized, chronically traumatized state, if you have a bad experience and your, your mind can process these memories during your sleep in, in a, in environment where your brain has less of the stress chemicals. And so then it's filed away and processed. And that when you wake up the next day, those experience have been softened in the strength of their emotion. And so it helps you 
um, helps you cope with them, helps you deal with that. It doesn't necessarily make it go away, doesn't necessarily help, and it won't necessarily happen in one particular night. But in a person that's not suffering from PTSD, that their brains are better able to cope with that. However, when they studied people suffering from PTSD, and there's hypervigilance, their heart rate is elevated, probably due to the elevated levels of norepinephrine, is that this is disrupting those normal memory processing pathways. And we don't exactly know yet all that's going on, at least in my studies, I haven't been able to find out, but that there's a physiological response that's Uh, that's happening in people with PTSD that's inhibiting those memories. And so then we're getting those vivid flashbacks, those those nightmares, those night terrors uh, that are happening in your sleep. And so those levels of norepinephrine are not blunted and you're getting those symptoms during sleep as well as when you're awake. So to sum up, uh, I'll quote from another study. And uh, all these things will be uh, listed in the show notes below. But in summary, and I'm reading from this study in how traumatic stress disorder affects sleep, and the literature from adult studies of PTSD suggests that, one, sleep disturbances, particularly nightmares, are frequent symptoms of PTSD. Two, sleep disturbances often occur following a trauma prior to PTSD onset and may confer increased vulnerability for development of PTSD. Three, sleep disturbances predict global PTSD symptom severity. Four, sleep disturbances are often a residual symptom following treatment of PTSD. And five, Treatment of sleep disorders yields strong improvement in PTSD symptoms. So basically, treat the sleep, treat it early, treat it aggressively, and it will help either prevent PTSD or mitigate the symptoms and it will help you recover. It's also important to note that back in point four, and that even that your sleep problems as a result of PTSD can linger on even longer than when most of your other symptoms of PTSD have already resolved. So sleep occurs early and lasts longer. So all the more reasons to get on top of your sleep. So now on to barriers to sleep. What are the things that inhibit good sleep? So we know that PTSD and the disrupted brain connections and sleep architecture uh, inhibit sleep. Uh, but we can contribute other problems um, that might occur too, such as, well, I already mentioned the day-night confusion. So if you've had to work all night or if the nighttime is a scary time for you, uh, then that's going to be a problem. It's going to cause some insomnia there. Eating and drinking, especially heavy meals within a couple hours of bedtime are going to interfere with your sleep. Also exercise. Now, some people find that they can exercise and then that makes them tired and go to bed, but sometimes too rigorous exercise can, you know, up your, your norepinephrine, your epinephrine and those stress chemicals, and they can elevate them so high that you're not able to get to sleep when you want to. So naps, you know, 
there's nothing wrong with a good nap, but keep it early, uh, definitely before 5 p.m. and keep it short, 30 minutes or less. It's important to note that naps uh, are not to be used to self-medicate from poor sleep. I mean, they can definitely help, uh, especially if you need a, a power nap in the middle of the day to get you through the day, but that, you know that's, that's not going to be in your regular routine. Um, but if you're napping, let's say if you have chronic sleep problems and you find yourself napping for an hour, hour and a half every day, maybe from three to four or something like that, that, you know, that might be one of the things that's inhibiting your sleep and not actually helping you in the long run. So we all know about caffeine. So avoiding caffeine in food or drinks. It's important to know that there's sometimes there's drinks such as energy drinks that actually have a lot of caffeine or some people don't realize how much caffeine or is actually Coke or coffee. Also, chocolate is a substance that does not have caffeine, but it has a stimulant in the same family as caffeine. And so sensitive people might have trouble having chocolate or hot chocolate at night. And so think about that about what's what you're ingesting and also think about you know what it is you know also another thing to remember is that different people have different uh, levels of metabolism of caffeine some are fast metabolizers some are slow metabolizers or t- metabolizers and some people can drink coffee in the evening and have no problem and other people like me it's like if you have anything after 1 p.m. you know just forget it So you have to know yourself, but in general, if you're looking for ways to help you get to sleep or sleep better, uh, consider your caffeine intake in the day, uh, screen time. So it's that, that screen on your devices, your, your tablet, your phone, your computer, it, it, it inhibits the release or the production of melatonin to get your brain and your body into that sleep mode. And so of course, you've heard this. This won't be the first time you've heard this is turn off your TV or devices 30 to 60 minutes. I mean, at least 30, 60 is probably better before going to bed to help your mind relax and fall asleep. And this goes to the next point, which is triggers. So prior to bedtime, avoid exposure to something that may trigger your trauma or make you upset, such as watching the news, uh, surfing the internet uh, in case something pops up. You might, you know, answer a text. Uh, Maybe it's from your quote unquote boyfriend, or maybe it's from your mom or something, somebody that's going to like make you mad or sad or hyped up right before you go to sleep. So putting away your devices well before bed is going to ensure that you're going to avoid some of those uh, emotional uh, triggers. Alcohol, avoid using that as a sleep aid. It doesn't work. And I'm going to get to alcohol and other drugs uh, in a section a bit later. So people who have traumatic brain injuries may also have problems sleeping. And so consider, you know, if you have anything like that in your history, I'm not going to get into the science of that, uh, but that, but having a history of a traumatic brain injury uh, may also be contributing to your poor sleep. And uh, other medications and drugs, which I'm going to start talking about now. And so it's important to note that prescription medications can cause sleep disturbances. So examples, uh, not exhaustive list, are antidepressives, uh, common cold meds, oral contraceptives, or 
There's steroids. Uh, there's some inhaled respiratory drugs like asthma puffer. Oh, that can that causes a mild stimulant. Diet pills or seizure meds or certain headache medications have caffeine. And so if you're having trouble sleeping, uh, check the label of your medication and make sure that um, that's not one of the causes. And so you might consider not taking that or switching drugs or changing the time of day that you're taking those medicines uh, to help um, with that. So other drugs, like as in illicit substances. So a lot of substance use actually disrupts the sleep regulatory symptom systems. You know, go figure, uh, meth or cocaine kind of amp you up, and then alcohol is a barbiturate and it puts you down, uh, but they all affect your sleep. And the thing is that a lot of people with PTSD or other trauma symptoms use alcohol or other substances to try to sleep better. Also, if you're trying to kick the habit, the withdrawal, not only the drug use, but also the withdrawal from the drug can cause insomnia and that can fuel drug cravings and that can be a factor that leads to relapse. So consider this. I mean, it's all kind of complicated. It seems like a lot of these things are working against you to get good sleep and to kick the drugs, but um, it's important to consider all the factors, you know, as you're considering ways to improve your sleep. So alcohol and sleep. And a lot of people say, yeah, it kind of makes me sleepy, helps me sleep, but no. Al the alcohol alters in a negative way, the quality and duration of your sleep. And so although it makes you feel sleepy and it may help you fall asleep more quickly, it is disruptive to the later stages of sleep and reduces the amount of time spent in the REM stage, which is the most restorative stage of sleep. It causes abrupt and more frequent awakenings. So even if you sleep a full night after drinking, you may not feel rested in the morning. And that's with or without a hangover. So also alcohol can increase the prevalence of other pre-existing sleep disorders, such as obstructive sleep apnea. So that's a moderate, so alcohol consumed in the evening can lead to a narrowing of the airway, increasing the frequency and duration of breath holding episodes. So we said people with trauma have obstructive sleep apnea problems often. Alcohol can exacerbate that problem. Alcohol exacerbates other problems with sleep. So yeah, so it's not the sleep aid that you would like it to be. So marijuana, also another thing. Yeah, it helps me sleep, but yeah, I can get to sleep easy. makes me tired, sure. Um, and it is true that cannabis oil, uh, or CBD, uh, seems to reduce the amount of time it takes one to fall asleep. It also decreases anxiety, which improves, you know, your ability to get to sleep. However, um, yeah, it's, it's like alcohol. It tends to disrupt the later forms of sleep. And if there's THC, you know, which is the active ingredient of marijuana that gets you high, that definitely, um, affects your sleep and reduces the amount of time you're spent in the REM stage. And so there are studies that say occasional marijuana use doesn't disrupt sleep, 
but daily marijuana use is associated with sleep difficulties. And of course, withdrawal from, mar- from marijuana is, um, causes trouble sleeping. So that's another thing where, yeah, it kind of makes you sleepy, kind of reduces your time to sleep, but it's uh, not a recommended sleep aid. There are better ones. So other medications, particularly, you know, the ones that a lot of uh, people with PTSD or trauma symptoms will take are um, the psychotropics that impact your dopamine and serotonin, such as antidepressants or uh, antipsychotics. And so, of course, these are going to impact your sleep. And so you really need to pay attention and talk with your doctor about the timing of these, the dosing of these, and making sure that you can take these to mitigate your other psychological uh, issues while still able to get asleep. Because if the drug is working against your sleep, but it's working for your other brain chemistry, then it's kind of working at odds with each other because sleep is absolute medicine. And so trying to manage your the drugs if they are impacting your sleep to maximize your sleep while also minimizing the other symptoms related to your other uh, psychiatric issues. There's a lot, lot, lot to think about. Um, so yeah, so sleep aids. So here are some things that we can do to improve your sleep. And so not all are appropriate or necessary for everyone. And um, you have to try things out and find out what works for you. But these are, these are general things that I think will pretty much work for most people. And I think, you know, speaking to people who are suffering from chronic trauma symptoms is that it's important to know that this is normal having sleep disturbances is normal and you will get through this and there are things that you can do you can sleep better and you will and so just want to say that up front the one of the most important things you can do to improve your sleep is make a bedtime routine you know this is what we do for our little kids We change into our jammies, we brush our teeth, we say our prayers, or we have a bedtime story with mommy or daddy, and then we turn off the light and we're going to bed. So this trains your mind to wind down for sleep, not only your mind, but your body as well. So it's good to have you know, a routine, like I put on a certain app, I'm listening to music, or I'm listening to something that's relaxing and calming while I'm brushing my teeth and doing my um, bedtime hygiene, or you take a shower, um, read for 10 minutes and go to sleep. And make that routine pretty much every night. And it's also important in your routine that you have a regular bedtime and waking time. And experts say to make that within 90 minutes, you know, ideally. So on the weekends, you know, if you're normally going to bed at, say, 10, waking up at 5 or 6 in the morning, on weekends, you know, if you're going wild, going to bed at 2 and waking up at 11, you know, that's going to, you know, you might have fun. You know, I'm not saying that never have fun. But at the same time, if you're doing this on a regular basis, like every weekend, you're really setting yourself up to wreck your sleep. Uh, So having a regular bedtime and waking time 
uh, is really important. That will help get your body in this rhythm. That's why I'm talking about some of these women who are up all night and then resting or sleeping during the day. You know, it's hard to get them back on a regular rhythm. And I'll, um, in a little bit, I'll talk to you about um, a protocol for helping to set your day-night cycles um, back into daytime wakefulness and nighttime sleeping. So another thing uh, that you can do is taking a shower or bath and a hot one um, because, you know, we like to keep our rooms cool. We like to be cool. And so taking a hot bath, actually you feel warm because your blood vessels and your skin are dilated and it's releasing heat from your body. And then, so you feel hot at first, but then actually you're decreasing your body temperature. And so that goes to the next uh, recommendation is to keep your environment uh, ideal. And so that's cool, dark, and quiet. And so open a window if you can, if it's not too loud, pull down the shades or wear a mask of your eyes and keep it quiet uh, and make sure it's safe. And this is really important for um some of the women that I'm working with and that they don't even feel safe in a bed because this is, this is where they work. This is where their trauma happens. And so it's, it's very common when I talk to people running shelters that they'll find, you know, the women are sleeping on the floor, they're sleeping on the couch and they just can't sleep in the bed. And so I think it's important, you know, if you're working with women recovering from prostitution, that you understand that and that it's okay. And you, they need to have the choice. They need to have the choice to keep the light on all night if the darkness scares them. And they need to have the choice um, to be able to sleep on the floor on a couch and make sure that it's comfortable, you know, that you're providing for extra um, pillows and blankets uh, for those kinds of situations. And that you're you're creating a safe environment, but also in general, it's cool, dark, and quiet as well. And so regarding keeping it quiet, I recommend a, uh, a white noise app. You can buy a separate machine so you don't, you're not using your phone, or you can do like what I do is that I turn my phone on airplane mode. So my phone is not on, it's on airplane, it's on buzz, I basically turn it off except for the white noise app that's running so that I can sleep, especially if I'm traveling and I'm in a strange space, and then I have that regular noise to distract me. So doing other things, I think I already mentioned about relaxing your mind, um, maybe doing some gentle stretch, um, some breathing exercises, or listening to quieting music, or whatever you do that's... Um, going to be relaxing for you. Also, well, what if you do if you really just can't sleep or you're tossing and turning, maybe you can't get to sleep or you're uh, wake up in the middle of night and, you know, try not to force it. Don't be, don't be constantly checking your phone. You'll get out of bed. Uh, doing something relaxing without your phone or computer or TV. And so sometimes I'll get out of bed and I'll move to the couch. And sometimes that just kind of calms me down. So I'll just get on the couch, uh, read with my Kindle, and I'll sit up and having a different environment. And then that's that'll that'll help me calm down. And then I can either fall asleep, keep sleeping on the couch, or move back to my um, your bed. Because 
really your bed <clears throat> really needs to be reserved for sleep or sex, um, not work. And this is another thing. I do not have my laptop in my bed. I'm never in my bed with my laptop. I'm not even watching Netflix in bed. I'm, I'm, if I'm watching TV or something on my computer, it's in the living room on my couch because, you know, the computer sometimes is, you know, that's too much associated with my work. And so I need to protect that, that, that space. My bedroom is, is just for sleep and for relaxing. I will sit up and read, but you know, there's no computer. Um, and my phone is only for, you know, that white noise app. So, because you really, you don't want to associate your, your bed with frustration or can't sleep or anything. So try to think about that. So medication is last. I mean, really, you know, I'm not a big fan of medication, but sometimes it do, it does help, um, to kind of get over the hump or, you know, to get through uh, a time or to get over jet lag. But for someone who's having chronic sleep problems, I think, um, Oh, now I want to say, maybe I should say at the beginning, I'll say again, that this is not doctor's advice. I'm just suggesting a couple of medications that you might consider, but please, please talk to your own doctor at first. But there's uh, medications such as emetriptyline, which is not habit forming and can be taken at bedtime. And, but I would say that also if your antidepressant is making you sleepy during the day, you know, sometimes, like I said, they make you, they make you awake at night and switch it to the day. But if your antidepressant is making you sleepy, you might ask your doctor about moving it to the nighttime instead of in the morning. One thing that I should say that I would recommend to avoid benzodiazepines, such as diazepam or Valium, um, because they can have paradoxical reactions. You can grow dependent on them. And, you know, that's, um, I would recommend them not as a sleep aid. Uh, of course, there's natural sleep aids such as melatonin, valerian, chamomile, mm, CBD, lavender. You know, like I mentioned about, you know, CBD is touted as a sleep aid. Mm, you know, as I said, I already mentioned my reservations about that. So, yeah. So there's a variety of things, I think, routine and relaxing. Uh, are the most important things you can you can consider and whatever is going to help you get in move in that direction are going to be good things to do. So I mentioned about a protocol for shifting a day night cycle because you know I'm working with some people who they're in prostitution and and you know as their exit they're they're asleep day night cycles are all messed up because they're working all night or they're homeless and they have to be more vigilant at night than they are in the day or, or for whatever reasons. And it's good to kind of shift that back into daytime wakefulness and nighttime sleepiness. But sometimes it's hard. It can't be done overnight. Maybe it can be done over a couple weeks. And so you want to shift you're going to bedtime. Let's say they're normally going to bed about three or four in the morning. Say, okay, now we're going to, we're going to go to bed at three. And let's say they're normally waking up about 11 or in the morning or noon. So let's say, okay, you're going to go to bed at three and you're going to set your routine for a goal sleep time of about, uh, 3 AM. And then you're going to set our alarm for 11 and then the next night move it back an hour. 
So it's going to be 2 a.m. And then 10 a.m. And then set it back. And then re-gradually, then over the course of a couple weeks. And maybe you have to spend a couple days on one night. But, you know, try to regularly move it, move it back. And then one of the most important things you can do is after you wake up, spend about 30 minutes or so in the sunlight without sunglasses, without hat, and get your eyes full on the sun because that's going to trigger your wakefulness hormones. It's going to move your cortisol up. You're going to feel better. You're going to put that melatonin back and, and it's, and it's going to help you wake up. And, uh, you know, if you can't go outside, maybe you have a window, stand in the window, um, do whatever you can to get that, uh, UV rays and that, and the sunshine in your eyes. And then at night, you can take a uh, melatonin, maybe a low dose, maybe even like half a milligram or one milligram a couple hours before your target bedtime. And that can, uh, that can help stimulate your body to get back onto the daytime sleeping, day, um, nighttime, uh, I mean, daytime waking. So, but overall, this is really one of the most important things you can do in your trauma recovery is sleep, 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 sleep. And so if you are yourself, are you recovering from trauma or you're walking with someone recovering from PTSD or chronic trauma, you can encourage them to make efforts to get better sleep. This is, I mean, sleep is medicine and it's no joke. I mean, it really is. It, it, it it's, it's, we, we don't even know the half of the, the benefits of sleep. And, uh, there's books been written about it and we're still discovering more and more, but I would suggest that you approach, um, developing better sleep habits as you would developing any other kind of coping skill. You can experiment and you practice these recommendations as you would any other. Maybe you don't have any idea why you aren't sleeping well, or maybe you think you are already practicing good sleep hygiene. And then it's a good idea to start, start a sleep diary. And so a sleep diary for at least a week, write down all the things you do in the hours before you sleep. And maybe a little sooner, if you think that afternoon caffeine may be problematic and see what comes up, see what have, what did you eat? What did you do? Who did you talk to? What did you watch? Uh, you know, and then the times you know, what, what, what's going on in those hours and could it be related to, uh, disrupted sleep or maybe you had a sleep that was really good and you want to know, well, what did you do that day? And so then you make adjustments as necessary. And sometimes if you notice, oh my gosh, there's, I'm doing all the things wrong, but just change one thing at a time. If making all the changes seems overwhelming, which is usually the case. So change one thing and then go with that because then that success will breed more success and it's step by step by step towards better health. And so I want to say that, you know, sleep problems are normal. You know, you can do all the right things and still have trouble sleeping sometimes. So there's no guarantee, but you will on average start to sleep a lot better and develop resilience for when you can't sleep very well. That's well, that took a little bit longer than I anticipated, but I hope you learned something. I certainly learned a lot in preparing for this talk. And I mean, as I said, I mean, there's, there's books and books written about this and, and there's way more studies about trauma and sleep. And 
I plan to uh, continue to study this. So if you have any questions about this or comments, I'd, I'd love to hear them. And so in the meantime, I look forward to seeing you again or talking to you on one of my future webinars. And until then, have a great day wherever you are, whenever you are, and we'll see you back here on The Doctor Is In. Ciao.